This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 17th of November 2021. So Norman, we've spent a lot of time in this podcast over the last two-ish years talking about the eastern seaboard of Australia, but there's an outbreak happening now in the Northern Territory that has really ramped up over the last day or so. Yesterday they had nine cases, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually a pretty big number in a very vulnerable part of Australia. That's right. The example here is Western New South Wales and Aboriginal communities in Western New South Wales, which really did it tough with uh, COVID during the New South Wales outbreak over over winter. So this is uh, the all nine cases reported yesterday are in Aboriginal people and household contacts of the two cases talked about two days ago. And one has already been admitted to Darwin Hospital, at least that was yesterday, at least at the time we're speaking. This is the nightmare which is that COVID gets into Aboriginal communities, particularly a remote Aboriginal community. Yes, they've introduced public health and social measures, but is it going to be enough to control this? And it's hard to control COVID in Aboriginal communities because of housing situations, about how people mingle culturally, and social distancing is really tough. And it's why we had control of people going in and out of remote Aboriginal communities in 2020, but now it's spreading and it's going to be, it could be hard to control. I hope not, particularly in the light of low vaccination rates throughout the Northern Territories. The Northern Territory is very vulnerable as a whole, but particularly in its Aboriginal communities. So we've actually got Pat Turner, the CEO of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, coming on on Friday to talk more broadly, but also about the Northern Territory and the sorts of factors that are at play there and what can be done to protect these communities. Yeah, and we'll and we'll keep a watching eye on the Northern Territory. But um, I was actually wanting to talk about something that I got when I was on local radio on Monday. What are you talking about, Norman? I thought the only love in your life was Coronacast and our beautiful Coronacaster audience. I'm a trollop and a hussy. <laughs> Okay then, yes. Well, you did. You went on the breakfast program on seven hundred two Sydney, and there was a question that you were you sort of lobbed at you the other day that we decided that we needed to do a bit more investigation into. So, can you just tell us a bit about who this caller was and what they had to say? So this caller was called John. Oh, good day. How are you? Good. Your question for Norman. And what he was saying was that his son, I think he was eighteen got myocarditis. the heart inflammation, myocarditis following the Pfizer. He went into hospital for a short period of time. There was a cost attached to that. His uh, wife had to take time off work. But we also are up for an $800 MRI. He's needing cardiac MRI scans. There's a whole issue around actually cardiac MRI scans where it's very hard to get them in hospitals and they're not reimbursed, so you've got to pay it privately for them. They can cost several hundred dollars. And he thought the compensation scheme, which was announced earlier on this year by the government, and in fact on the 28th of August, the health minister put out a press release saying that the details are all sorted out, ready to go. You go to the site and literally there's like two different announcements about it. There's two price ranges, one's between five and 20,000, one's 20,000 and above. The 5,000 one gives you about two guidelines and says when it's, and you can put it register your interest and when they, when they work out the details, they'll contact you. Well, and the above $20,000 one has nothing. And he uh, registered his interest and was told that it would be dealt with later. And so it was clearly not, doesn't, didn't seem to be in action. 
and what did I know about it, which was nothing. I I had assumed that following the minister's announcement that it was it, it was in action, it was going. Before we get too far into this, what is the scheme? What's it meant to do? Many countries in the world have a no-fault compensation scheme for vaccines. It dates back to when there were uh, there was a lot of litigation and manufacturers were abandoning the vaccine industry because they were getting a lot of litigation, which they were winning, but they couldn't afford to actually... They were losing money because they were defending all these claims, which they eventually won. And so several countries instituted no-fault vaccination schemes. And it was also a way of increasing people's confidence in vaccination if the government was willing to back this up. And it made a big difference and it caused the resurgence in the vaccine industry. And it's probably one reason why we have COVID-19 vaccines is that some countries instituted these compensation schemes and therefore manufacturers felt able to spend the money on research and development. So do we not have it for any other vaccines in Australia? No. No, we were one of the countries which had no vaccine compensation scheme. And people who are vaccine hesitant were saying, well, why haven't we got one? Don't you have confidence in them? Is there some plot between you and the, and the pharmaceutical industry and so on? So they announced a vaccine compensation scheme. And there was some suggestion that Moderna wouldn't come into Australia unless there was a compensation scheme. So they announced one. And the details are basically that the scheme, now I'm quoting now the, the Commonwealth Department of Health, will cover the cost of injuries $5,000 and above if you've had a TGA-approved COVID-19 vaccines and you've had a recognised side effects. And if you want to make a claim between 5000 and 20000 you need to have been hospitalised for at least one night and you need to nominate that you're seeking less than $20,000. And then there's a series of things that you've got to do to indicate that you've had loss. If it's a claim for 20000 and over, including, say, dying of uh, from a, a vaccine industry or allegedly dying from it, that still hasn't been developed as far according to the, the website for those bigger claims. So John's claim fell into that 5000 to 20000 scheme. So our trusty producer, Will Ockenden, wrote to the health department saying, what's going on? And what they said was that, in fact, effectively, they said the scheme's not ready and they've been accepting uh, registrations of interest, which is what John actually said when he was on the radio the other day. And they've had 10,000 registrations of interest and they wouldn't be able to get to them and start assessing them until mid-December or until December. And so then we followed up with them on that and asked how long they estimated that was going to take to process those 10,000 submissions and why it had taken so long to, to get to the point of assessing the claims, given that it was announced back in August and we didn't get a response to them, to those questions by our deadline. No, they didn't at the time of um, recording. So we have an announcement. We have a press release from the minister. We have a description of the scheme on the health department's website. We have 10,000 people who've queued up to say, they may have a they may have a they may have a claim and obviously their claim's got to be validated but the process won't start probably for about another month i don't know how long it's going to take their assessors to go through 10,000 registrations 10,000 claims sounds like a lot well they're not claims they they are registrations of interest so you've got there's a certain there's a lot of information that you've actually got to submit to have a successful claim We've had many millions of doses in Australia, 10,000 people applying for a claim. For example, it's not going to end up being 10,000 validated claims. And we know what the incidence of side effects is. So it just remains to be seen. But if we've got a claim system and we're actively immunising the nation and we've said there's going to be a compensation scheme in place, it should be in place, don't you think? And if you're wondering how John's son is, well, as you would know, Norman, ABC Sydney presenter Robbie Buck 
asked him just that. Hey, uh, how is your son, John? Uh, yeah, he's okay. He's all right. uh, I'm enough. He's doing his HSC now. Oh, gosh. Uh, he's still what are you? What are you? For the end of the year, I know. Of course, it happened six weeks before in the middle of his study. And all of course. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck yep. to him. Yeah, tell him we said good day. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I should say that, and again, we will put this on the way, on our website, is that the, uh, the response from the health department is that potential claimants who have registered their interest in the scheme will be notified directly ahead of this next phase. So the next phase is actually the scheme in action. There are claims being assessed. And if you're listening and you have experience of this, we would love to hear from you. We'd, we'd love to sort of get a sense of what is actually happening out there in Australia. So, of course, you can send us a message at abc.net.au slash coronacast. Do let us know. Okay, so this is going to be a longish version of Coronacast today, Norman, because I've got lots of questions for you from our audience. But um, stick with us because there's some good stuff here. Yeah. So I want to keep talking about vaccines, Norman, because there's we're talking a lot about booster shots or third doses, as you like to call them. I think it's catching on. And there's a study in the UK that's looked at third doses given to people over the age of 50, and it's actually really good news. It's fantastic news. So regardless of whether you had Astra first or Pfizer first, when you had your third dose, and this is with Pfizer, you're, and these are people aged over 50, and that reflects the program in the United Kingdom, for people over 50, the immunity or the vaccine effectiveness in protecting you against symptomatic COVID-19 disease was greater than it was after your second dose, whether it was Pfizer or Astra. So you've got an even better level of immunity with the third dose, which is really great news. And when they looked at the relative risk of infection compared to somebody who was unvaccinated, so let's, so compared to somebody who was unvaccinated, you had only 7% of the risk compared to somebody who was unvaccinated uh, of getting infected. So if there's 100 people who catch COVID because they've been exposed and they're unvaccinated, so they catch it, those same 100 people, if they were vaccinated with three doses, only seven of them would catch it. Got it in one. Ah, yes. I should be a statistician. Okay, so it's good that we've got this study, Norman, because we've got lots of people asking questions about boosters and especially depending on which vaccine that they got first. And someone's written in saying, if I've had two doses of AstraZeneca, we know that its efficacy wanes quite quickly. Where does that leave me after a dose of Pfizer for my third dose? Have I caught up with all the people who had Pfizer first or will I forever have less protection? So according to this study, you not only catch up with them, you do as well as anybody else who's had a third dose. In other words, you do better. So you're not at a disadvantage from starting out with AstraZeneca? No. You come to this, you land at the same point, which is even better than even having had two Pfizer's. So then, okay, more people asking about AstraZeneca. This person's in their 30s. They, they're living in Melbourne and they had Astra because there was no Pfizer at the time when the, the risk was high there. Now this person's hearing that AstraZeneca wanes in three to four months, but they can't get their third dose for six months. Are they at a disadvantage compared to someone who had waited for Pfizer? I think that what's running in your advantage here to your advantage here is that you're in your 30s. So you would have started off with a much better immune response because of your age to the AstraZeneca. Whilst the average might be around about four months, it's probably going to be longer in you because you've got a more active immune system. But there are a lot of older people who got AstraZeneca early on as well. And Colin's asking whether maybe with Astra, that third dose should be given earlier than at six months just to cover that waning. I don't know whether Atagi is actually considering that, but the data are there to suggest that maybe with Astra you should be thinking about the third dose at four months. They might be worried about supply if everybody started rushing forward. I know why they've done it. They've done it because the Israeli data based on Pfizer say it's five or six months. 
And the third reason might be you just want a simple, a simple message that it's six months rather than saying, well, if Astra, then four months, and if Pfizer, then six months. And then people with Pfizer are saying, well, why can't I have it at four months? It, it does get very complicated when the risk is probably fairly low, particularly for younger people. If you're immunocompromised, you can get it, you can get it much earlier anyway. And I'm not sure whether Atagi is considering this. And yeah, lots of people worried about AstraZeneca and also Victoria because Tom's written in saying, are Victoria's stubbornly resistant cases due to its longer, colder winters this year? Are they also due to Victoria taking more AstraZeneca vaccines, which uh, seem to be less effective than Pfizer? Well, no, because uh, Victoria taking more AstraZeneca vaccines, and there were a lot of people with AstraZeneca vaccine, including me in New South Wales, has helped to bend the curve. I mean, that's what's controlling the pandemic in Victoria. The majority of people have been vaccinated since July, August, had the second doses and still have fairly effective immunity. So we've not seen a, a, sur- a resurgence of Delta in Victoria. So it's, it's controlling the, the pandemic. When you might see waning effectiveness are towards the new winter in 2022, if people have not had their booster shot. And of course... This is all kind of talking in hypotheticals. Kids are not yet eligible for vaccination in Australia and you can't get your your booster shot before six months, but it's definitely uh, stuff to consider. So if you've got a question for us, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.